this is a real fun subject for me. I, I want to confront again for us the lie of insignificance. The lie of insignificance. Religion is brutal. It's boring and it's cruel. In fact, just say that with me. Religion is boring and cruel. It, it, how many of you know that one firsthand? It just is. It's just boring and cruel because what it does is it's true that all have sinned and all need a Savior. There's no one so good that they don't need a Savior. There's no one so bad that they can't be saved. So there's that brilliant combination that we live with, and every one of us need a Redeemer. But in redemption, we are restored to a place actually greater than before the fall. That's an interesting concept. I better leave that one alone because that'll, that'll open a can of worms that I can't, I can't fix in this time frame. But when the Lord restores stuff in the Bible, look at it. When, he, when the temple of Solomon was rebuilt, it was rebuilt to twice the size. When Job lost everything and it was restored, it was restored twice the size. It's the nature of God to restore something to a place greater than before. I understand that when a bone, oftentimes when a bone breaks and it heals, it actually is stronger at the place of the break than elsewhere. It doesn't mean you sin to be restored, but it does mean you take advantage of the fact that there, there is no shame once there's forgiveness, when there's true repentance and true forgiveness. So here's the deal. The enemy has, has told a lie to every person in this room, every person you know, a lie of of horrible insignificance. And there are so many people that live with a consciousness of their past. And what religion does is the enemy, religion wants you to keep aware of whatever you've done wrong in your past to use it as a tool to keep you humble. That's not humility, that's stupidity. <laughs> and the reason, well, look at it this way. Does the blood of Jesus work? All right, what does the blood of Jesus do? Does it postpone penalty or does it destroy the record of something? Destroys the record of something. So if I live with a consciousness of sin that's been forgiven, then I am aware of something that is now a lie because it no longer exists. If I give my heart and my mind to a lie, I agree with the liar and I empower the liar. How else can the enemy kill, steal, and destroy within a believer's life? The only way possible is to bring us into agreement because he has no authority. So one of the things he does is he keeps aware of our past and he likes to bring it up to remind us of what's gone wrong in the past. But if there's true repentance, there's true forgiveness, and that thing no longer exists. It has been wiped away, its power is wiped away, it is covered by blood, and for you and me to revisit that thing is to empower a lie. This is why we have to, we have to learn, we have to learn to have a, a renewed mind that actually thinks of ourselves as God thinks of us. Now I don't like, I, I see some people try this and it just, it almost looks like they're just running with ridiculous arrogance, you know, they're so proud of themselves and, you know, I, I don't, I don't like that. I feel like that's a, that's a reaction to something. Basically what it comes down to is God thinks very well of you. He's very confident of you. You know how I know you're significant? Because God trusts you. How do we know how much God trusts us? By realizing what he has entrusted to us. What has, he, what has he entrusted to me? The Holy Spirit. Just think about this now. The scripture says, you can blaspheme Jesus and get forgiven, the Father and get forgiven, but you can't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. So the most treasured, I don't know if fragile is the right word, but let's just say it is. The most fragile one in heaven has been given to you. Why would God give you the most fragile one in heaven to live within you because he trusts you that much. If I think things about me that he doesn't think about me, then I'm thinking a lie. If I think lies, if I dwell on lies, then I am doing what? I'm agreeing with the liar. What happens when we agree with the liar? We empower the liar. The whole issue of the renewed mind, it's not an arrogance, it's not a self-confidence in a sense of, of independence from God, but it is a confidence that is because of God. It's entirely connected to what He has accomplished for us. 
there's going to be a generation that gets this, and it might as well be this one. There's going to be a generation that actually rises up. Listen, when you see somebody who is confident in what God has done for them, to all insecure people, it looks like arrogance. Faith looks like arrogance to unbelievers. But authentic confidence in God and what Jesus has accomplished for us is central to the working out of the gospel. This whole issue of insignificance is, is I think, one of the most disgusting lies. We have, uh, we have four things that I that we kind of champion around here, um, four truths that are central to what, we, what we'll take a bullet for. One is that there's nothing impossible with God. There's just nothing impossible. The other is the cornerstone of our theology is that God is good. The third one is that everything was accomplished at Calvary. Jesus doesn't have to return to accomplish anything. It was all purchased through his suffering at Calvary, at the cross. But the fourth one is the significance of every individual. Every person has a uniqueness, a significance in God. Here's the deal. When you discover who God's made you to be, you'll never want to be anyone else. That's a good point right there. Tell yourself, I'm sure glad you're you. There's something uh, incredibly powerful. Turn to Psalms 22, and uh, I want to look at a at a, a, a thought here. The whole, the whole lesson here that we're looking at is the, the privilege of hosting the presence of God is really what it comes down to. And hosting the presence, you know, if you have a, a president or a king or a queen or some dignitary coming to your house, you're going to do all kinds of stuff uh, some of you will go out and buy new plates that you can't afford and silverware and you know whatever you can because you want to host that person so well. You want to honor them so well. You want to celebrate who they are so well. And learning to host the presence of the Lord is a lot like that. It's just adjusting stuff in our life because we are hosting a person that is resting upon us that impacts the nature of the world around us. And so here's this privilege. We have been called by God to be priests unto the Lord. Now I'm going to run through this part real quick, and then I'll read this passage out of Psalms 22. In Exodus 19, verse 6, the Lord spoke to Moses and said, He said, Moses, tell Israel they are a kingdom of priests to me. They will be a kingdom of priests to me. He told Isaiah, make this announcement. My people are priests. They will be priests unto me. But in 1 Peter 2, Peter looks at the church and he says, you are a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. What's the point? Old Testament, it was the heart of God to turn every believer, every one of his children, every citizen of Israel, a priest to the Lord. It was his desire. It's too long of a story for this point, but basically it comes down to this. Israel rejected any opportunity to minister directly to the Lord because they didn't want to talk to him themselves. They said, Moses, you talk to him and tell us what he said. And in chapter 19, when they made that decision from that point on, it was a future tense reality. And so God says, you're going to be priest to me. Isaiah says, uh, God spoke through Isaiah, you're going to be priest. Jesus comes, he dies, people are born again. Peter rises up and he says, all right, you are. It's been spoken of in the future for centuries, but this is the moment all the prophets were looking for. You are all priests unto the Lord. What does that mean? A priest has two basic ministries, ministry to God and ministry to people. Our ministry to people has two categories, ministry to the believers and ministry to the world. So there's three realms of ministry of every believer. The Bible calls you a priest. Not just a priest, calls you a royal priest, a kingly priest. Now just think about this. Why would the God of the universe give you and me access as those who have sinned into his actual presence to minister to him? I don't know how long ago it was for you when the whole issue of worship became a a valuable part of your life. But I remember for me, I remember my dad preached out of the book of Ezekiel. 
about the ministry in the outer court and the inner court. The inner court was a ministry to God. The outer court was a ministry to people. And there were priests in the book of Ezekiel who had so sinned against God. Now, this is Old Testament, but they had so sinned against God that God would no longer allow them to minister to him, but he could minister, they could minister to people. And I remember my dad bringing this message. It was a series on priestly ministry. I'd never heard anything like it in all of my life. I didn't know that we were called to actually minister to the Lord himself. And I remember when he spoke that message, I remember at the end of one of the messages, I was sitting on the far side. I was sitting about six, seven rows back. I was on the outside edge of the aisle. This, was, this would be 1970, I suppose, 71 maybe. And I bowed my head at the end of the message. And I said, God, I give you the rest of my life to teach me that one thing. Because I realized when he, when he taught on the privilege of coming into the actual presence of God, and to minister to him, to attend to him, was the greatest privilege ever offered to a human being. And it was offered to every one of us. And I remember when, I, when that thing first opened up, I bowed my head. There was no altar call. There was no, that I recall, there was no prayer for commitment or anything of that nature. It was just, it was volcanically erupting within me, and I could not contain it. And I bowed my head. I said, God, I give you the rest of my life to teach me that one thing, because I just realized in that last hour, I had heard the reason why I was alive. I had heard the reason why I was alive. Why would the Lord long for you and me to be worshipers? You remember the story where Jesus met with a woman at the well. It's an interesting dialogue. He, she talks about worshiping at this mountain, and he makes this statement. He says, the Father looks for worshipers, those who will worship in spirit and truth. Okay, now think, think about this, the Father. The Father looks for worshipers. It doesn't say he looks for worship. You know, I hear weird comments made by well-meaning people often. God doesn't need anything. I hear people say he needs our worship or he needs our... No, he doesn't. He's, he's really self-contained. Father, Son, Holy Spirit get along really well. He's, he was love. Love requires... Think about this. Love requires giving, and he's been loved for eternity. He doesn't need us. He loves us. He desires us. And it says that he longs and he looks for worshipers. Why? Because you and I always become like whatever we worship. What is there that is better than us being like him? There is no greater desire he could have for us in all of life than for us to become like him. Love chooses the best. So out of love, he longs for us to be worshipers because we become transformed in the process of ministering to him. So it's out of love he chooses the best for us that we would be worshipers. He looks for worshipers. Look at Psalms 22. It's a great verse here. Just verse 3 says, But you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. I don't know that time permits for this one either. These are actually pretty large subjects to try to present so briefly. But think about this. What do you have to give to God? Well, it says that we enter his gates with what? Thanksgiving. What is Thanksgiving. It's a thankful heart that looks to things he has done. It's our response to his acts, his actions, his conduct. He's provided for you. We give thanks. We enter his gates with thanksgiving in our heart. We enter his courts with what? Praise. Thanksgiving is focused on his actions Praise is focused on his nature. You see, in Thanksgiving, God, I thank you that you provided. You helped me to get my school bill paid. Oh, thank you, Jesus. You helped me, you know, you helped me to buy the car. I'm so thankful, God. Thank you for your provision. And we have, we have these things that we give thanks for. Praise goes a lot deeper than just looking at what he does for us. It looks at who he is. And so in praise, I start declaring, God, I honor you because not only do you provide? You're the provider. 
You're the one that's intimately concerned about every aspect of my life. God, I celebrate who you are. Do you see the difference? See, uh, in, in the Psalms, there's this statement. It says, Israel was acquainted with the acts of God. Moses was acquainted with his ways. Israel never got past just looking at what God did for them. Moses pushed beyond that. He wasn't just interested in having a God who was like a, you know, a bellhop that just would attend to every request and need. He wanted a relationship with somebody. And this is the whole privilege of, of priestly ministry, is that we come in before the Lord, we lift up the offerings of thanksgiving, and we lift up the offerings and the sacrifices of praise. What does it mean when the Bible says we give a sacrifice of thanksgiving? or sacrifice of praise. It means you have to take a step beyond what's convenient. It means when you don't feel like it, that's okay, because that's not important. You don't offer only what feels good at the moment. You offer based on who he is, not based on your emotional conditions. Does that make sense? What we do is based on his worth. It's based on his worth. Worship is connected to his Worth. So here's this amazing thing. It says, we give thanks to the Lord, but then it says he is enthroned. So what does that mean? If you could picture this, the actual throne of God coming and resting upon the praises of his people. Now, it's quite possible for us to be wrapped up in the wonderful music, the, you know, a certain song that we really like, uh, being together with other people, just enjoying a praise service, and never actually minister to him. It's possible to enjoy the wonderful environment, the peace, the breakthrough. It's just things are so, it's such a wonderful environment. People are rejoicing and dancing before the Lord. It's possible to do all of that and never actually turn the heart one-on-one to him and minister to him. I believe that is in part why in Nehemiah 9, he makes this, Nehemiah makes this statement. He says, may you be exalted above all blessing and pray. God, I I exalt you above the worship experience. Does that that make sense to anybody? It's like like coming in and I enjoy the whole environment, but it's, it's you that I'm anchored into. So here we are. We've got this privilege of offering thanksgiving. And you know what? If you don't feel like it, just start considering what God has done for you. Just literally go through. God, I, I thank you that you saved me. You forgave me of sin. You forgave me of sin. You, you took away the option of hell because of your forgiveness for my life. You know what? He could, if he never did anything else for us the rest of eternity, that one factor is big enough for me to sing thanks for him the rest of my life. But we go beyond that, and we give him praise for who he is. We declare who he is. God, you're the Savior. You are the provider. God, I just celebrate who you are. It's your kindness. It's your mercy. But there's one more step, and that's the whole subject of worship. Worship is completely different. Because in thanksgiving and in praise, you'll see the Bible talk about, offer up a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Offer up a sacrifice of praise. I don't know anywhere where you give a sacrifice of worship. Because in worship, I'm the sacrifice. It's not an action. It's a living offering. It's a living offering. I present myself an offering, a sacrifice. And whereas here I responded to the acts of God, here I responded to his nature, here I respond to his presence. It's the interaction between one who loves me beyond description. And because he loved me first, I love him beyond description. Father, I pray that you would ignite hearts with just such a tenderness for presence, such a tenderness for intimacy, such a tenderness to recognize when you've come into the room in an extraordinary way. And I pray that in this group of people, that lie of insignificance would be destroyed absolutely forever, forever. Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, hallelujah. 
Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Jesus loves your praises. I just could, I could see him. I could just see him with the eyes of my heart. And he was just joyful. Hallelujah. And just, hallelujah. He was just full of joy at your praises. So, Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Thank you, Lord, for uh, what you're doing here among us and in us. Lord, continue to work in our hearts. Continue to cause us to be uh, those, uh, those that would spend our life ministering to you, that you would teach us that which we don't know and that which we don't understand about ministering to you lord god that the holy spirit would be our teacher and our guide to show us what what is a blessing and what blesses you lord because we want to have a ministry to you and all we give you praise we give you thanks for it and lord thank you for what i just lord you're moving so mightily here in our lives and we're so grateful oh we say more lord god more more move more hallelujah change us more change us more into your image lord hallelujah reveal more of you to us and now we thank you for it in jesus name amen amen Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Y'all come back into the light. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay, let's go over some things uh, uh, that he covered just uh, briefly. But then we're going to, in this curriculum, there's an overall message of, and the overall message is, the, the, t- tonight is you are significant in his presence. But under the overall message, there's five points that he wants you and I to grasp. Uh, and uh, so we'll, we'll get to those in a minute. But let's just remind ourselves, because it is vital that we recognize our significance as believers. And I know if you're like me, there were for years and years, I probably didn't know uh, that I had a significance. I knew Jesus was significant. I knew God was significant, but I didn't know that. I, I mean, I felt like I was just here, a little servant. And we are servants. We have servants' hearts. But you are, it, it, you're, you are very significant to Him. And the reason we're significant is we are filled with His presence. Hallelujah. We, when we get born again, we're filled with His presence. We're filled with His nature. And we minister in His presence. We are priests unto God. He reminded us of that, that we are priests unto God. That was really good about uh, us being priests. And we minister directly to Him in His presence. You minister directly to Him. And He wants you to minister to Him. And He doesn't care if you don't know how. Just go on and try and do it anyway. He, it's kind of a learn-as-you-go thing. You learn as you go. And He will teach you more about ministering to Him. And uh, so, um, and in this inner court where we minister to Him, it's from that inner court place of His presence that we are empowered to minister to in the outer courts to His people and, to, and that, that's the church and to the world both and and how many of us have i know for years i was guilty of trying to do outer court ministry to people and to uh and to uh the world and and doing it without having a very strong inner court ministry with him and it was out of ignorance it was uh, just uh, that was just what it was i mean I know you, if you grew up like I did in the church I grew up in, we were never taught any of these things. We were taught, get saved, try to be good until you get to heaven. <laughs> Hallelujah. That, that's basically it. And, and getting saved is the principal thing. But God does not intend us for us to wait to have relationship with Him until we get to heaven. And that we'll cover more of that in a minute. 
So the first point that he wants you to understand, we're just going to cover two tonight because I didn't know, I just, my timing, I didn't know how much time I had, but we'll cover two tonight. You might get out early, but on the other hand, hallelujah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't count my chickens before they hatch. <laughs> hallelujah. Okay. Number one point that he wanted you to get is uh, God's answer is you. God's answer is you. Yeah, Joey, it's cold in here. Everybody's kind of drawn up in a little... Hallelujah. It's cold. Let's get... Okay. Number one. Point number one. God's answer is you. Turn over to Exodus chapter 2, verse 24. Exodus chapter 2, verse 24. And this is talking about the children of Israel. They're slaves. Uh, they are very mistreated, being mistreated. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. He heard their groaning, and he, he answered. And so, uh, and guess what his answer was? What was God's answer? Does anybody want to take a guess? What's God's answer? When he heard their groaning. Now, I'm, I'm not going to make you mess up, so I'm going to go ahead and tell you. It's historically proven in the Word of God and, and otherwise, even out in history, that when God's people cry out, God's answer is always a man or a woman. So let me ask you again. What was God's answer when he heard their groaning? What was God's answer? Moses. Okay, yeah, now. Okay, Moses was God's answer. Hallelujah. So the cry for, the cry of prayer for help or when we cry out for a move of God, the answer typically comes as a person. You know, a lot of people miss God because of this very thing. Either they don't recognize that their prayers are going to be answered most of the time through a person or they they oh they kind of catch on and they kind of get with it a little bit they pray they say oh god we need a church in this town so god comes he sends a man and god and they starts a church and guess what they come and then they find out oh he's not perfect and or they find out oh you know, I thought that I I just thought you were just going to do it sovereignly, Lord. And they don't like it that it comes through a man. And some, you know, they don't and and you know what? That's exactly what happened in Moses's day. A lot of them didn't like it that God appointed Moses to lead them out of bondage. And they resisted and they rebelled and they complained and they griped. And it just sounds Kind of like today, doesn't it? <laughs> but God has always anointed men and women to be revivalists, to be reformers, and to be agents of change for their generation. When the when the when 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 we had slavery and black slaves cried out, who did God send? No, slavery. Abraham Lincoln, when they cried out in the 60s and said, because their civil rights were, well, who did he send? Martin Luther King. Hallelujah. And thank God I'm excited. I, got, I just got chills. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. And then we could go through all the revivals. People cry out and God raises up a Catherine Kuhlman or a hallelujah or at the turn of the century, he raises up, um, who was it? Seymour in Azusa Street. Yes. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hey, oh, awesome, awesome, awesome. I'm just, you know, they were crying out in the 30s and and uh and and God sent William Branham right at the end of the 40s and a healing revival. It was a it was it's awesome how God uh does this thing. But a lot of people didn't recognize it. You know, a lot of people don't recognize God cuz they want him to come through their denomination. 
You know, a lot of people miss their healing because they want to get healed at their church with their pastor. I know somebody right now that they couldn't get, they don't want to get healed here at River Church. They want to get healed at their church and they'll wait. Hallelujah. God keeps covenant, and when people cry out, He answers. You know, uh, I don't know if we got that up yet. I didn't notice tonight, but I gave Barry a new little sign to put up, and uh, and uh, it said, uh, I think it says, unanswered prayer is illegal or something to that effect. It's something to that effect. I don't know if that's exactly it. And it's something that Bill Johnson says. And it's true. It's It's illegal. And if you have an unanswered prayer, then go find out why. Go ask God why. Because you've either prayed amiss or something because it is not legal to have unanswered prayers. Why? Because we have a covenant. We have a covenant. And when God's people who are in covenant cry out to Him for deliverance or for help or for revival or whatever, He sends somebody to help. A lot of times we don't recognize it. You may cry out on Tuesday morning, God, i got to have an answer. I need to know what you're saying. What are you saying, God? And then Pastor or me on Wednesday night says something, and it's your answer. But sometimes you go, yeah, but yeah, I want you to tell me, Lord. Well, He did tell you. He did. He did tell you. And sometimes the reason He has to use people instead of speaking to you is because you're not listening. Or you can't hear him, you know, you can't hear him about certain things. One reason we can't hear God about certain things, this may take longer than I thought, hallelujah, One, it is, because I, is, is because of our paradigms. A paradigm is a way of thinking. And I look at a paradigm, when I think of the word paradigm, I always see a corral. And I don't know if y'all know what a corral is, but a corral is, a, is a, usually square or I think of it as square, and it's fenced. Tall fence, about that tall, and you put horses in the corral. Okay? And the corral, the horses stay in that corral. Now, there's a gate, but they can't open it. Hallelujah. And when we have a paradigm, we have a corral, and we are thinking, and sometimes those corral, that fence is so high and so tough, we cannot think any other way except and and God it will we can't hear God because we're only thinking in these terms and you know what God does about that he usually just works with us in our corral because he does he just wants to help us so much and so he works with us but he works on us getting this paradigm down because if he can get our paradigms down and we can think outside the box he can do a lot more with us for instance i'm going to tell you a paradigm i had now when we moved from from seminole to birmingham god told us to move there and i had a paradigm and it you have to understand in the town i grew up in there was not one apartment in the whole town there wasn't apartments. In the town we moved to, Seminole, there was, I think, one set of six apartments over, you know. Apartment living was not in my paradigm. So when we moved to Birmingham, we had to buy a house. Because I could not think of any other way to live in Birmingham, Alabama, except to buy a house. I, it it, it well, couldn't cross my mind. And see, we were only going to be there a year and a half, and God knew that. And if he could have just said, you know, Debbie, why don't you live in an apartment? But he, he, couldn't, he couldn't get it through me. It would not register on, this, on my hearing of God, you know. And it was because I had this paradigm. I was in this box. But, now, you know, God just worked with it. He let us buy a house. Thank God he led us to one that sold for more than we paid for it in a year and a half later. And so that was good. But, also, but I'll tell you what, we had to pray and pray and pray and pray. We, we, we were pounding heaven night and day to get that house sold and trustful. And, you know, it might have been just a lot easier just to... And plus, I wanted Eric to go to Christian school in on the parkway there. 
in center point where Erica Erica West the web Erica Webb was going but you know I had this paradigm house hallelujah and so so let God pull down your paradigms there might be a solution that's not in your little to, and, and we want to hear what God's saying because we want a solution for every situation. Okay. And so, uh, <clears throat> but we have this covenant with God and we cry out and he answers. And he answers with people. Uh, but here's the good news. Here's some good news for you. We possess nothing as men as far as our human selves to help hurting humanity but it's not who we are that can help hurting humanity. It's what we carry. We are carrying God himself around with us everywhere we go. You are filled with God. I am filled with God. You always have the answer right there with you. And not only that, you are the answer. He's the answer and you are the answer in every situation. So if you go to the mall and a gunman is there, guess what? You've got the answer. And all you have to do is say, God, what do I do? That's all you have to do. And he will tell you what to do. And because you have authority, there's a high likelihood. We, uh, I, the God's just dealing with me about this. See, we have been so insignificant in our own eyes. And because we think it would take, it would take thousands of people praying to change this situation in Washington. But no, it wouldn't. It only took one Moses to get the children of Israel out of slavery. Hallelujah. And so we hear something on the news that's bad about our country. It might only take you speaking to it. It might only take you speaking to it. Or let's say it takes five. God says, you know, it's going to take five people to get this done. Well, he'll pick five people and they'll speak to it. If you do your part, we'll get this done. You know, Pastor and I have been speaking to the Iran deal and say, it won't go through, it'll fall apart. It doesn't matter, something's going to change. I don't care if he has to change Ayatollah. You know? And if you, you know, so you're the answer. You're the answer in your neighborhood. You're the answer at work. Don't be looking at other people saying, well, I, if, if they would only change. You're the answer. You're the catalyst for change. You're the catalyst for change in your neighborhood. We're called to change Tuscaloosa. We're to go all over. If your neighborhood's getting bad, change it. If drugs are coming into your neighborhood, don't allow it. Because you are it. You are the answer. You have significance. And that's only because you have Jesus inside of you. And that's how God accomplishes the impossible. is through you and through me. And we need to quit waiting on a sovereign work of God. Hallelujah. We are the answers that the earth is groaning for. Remember the scripture that says, All creation groaneth for the manifestation of God. That is not what it says. What does it say? Amen. You got it. For the manifestation of the sons of God. He, they're waiting for us. They're groaning. The trees are groaning. <laughs> it's, it, it, nature, nature and all creation, which include people, are waiting for you to take authority and do something. You have significance. And you have an assignment. Every one of you has an assignment. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And you know, quit agreeing with the devil. If, if, you, if a pain comes, don't agree with it. If you feel bad, don't agree with it. If the doctor says, don't agree with it. You know, me and pastor, we just don't say, I have. I'm not saying we hadn't slipped a few times, but we don't say it. When they ask us, well, you know, fill out this report of what your parents had and everything. We, you know, we kind of just, you know, but we, we don't tell them nothing. Because I'm not, you can't put it on me. I've been refathered from above. Not going to take it. Don't want it. It's not mine. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God.
Hallelujah. I may run around this room. Hallelujah. It's true. It's true. You know, and that doesn't, you know, we're not trying to deny something that the devil's trying to put something there. But we have got to quit agreeing with him on, on everything. Man, it's really getting bad out there in our government. Well, it is. In so it, I shouldn't say that. That's agreeing with him. But it looks like it is. They report that it is. But if we could get enough Christians taking authority over gunmen and terrorists and... Amen? And the weather. And you know, I know it's going to sound like pride and, and everybody that's an unbeliever is gonna th- in here is going to think, well, they sure are hoity-toity. They think they're something. But the truth is, in January, some of you were here. I don't know. We had a prayer time. I don't remember exactly what. And we just commanded no tornadoes, no hurricanes in all of 2015. And you know, guess what? Guess what? Hallelujah. And you know, let's just take authority. We say we, we're not having icy weather. We're not having below normal cold in Jesus' name. We say no. We don't care what Farmer's Almanac says. Hallelujah. We don't want it. We say no to it. That's why we moved to the south. We wanted all that. We'd go north. Hallelujah. We're not going to let the devil control the weather. Well, if we can speak to a tornado, if one person can speak to a tornado and it lift up, and you've done it, all of you in here have spoken to things that were just that. You've spoken to hail. You've spoken to, and you know, if we can speak to that, then why do we make it such a big deal to speak to the Ayatollah over there or something, you know, over, start speaking to it? And not not make it, we don't need to make it that a thousand people need to pray. Amen. God said he'd save Sodom and Gomorrah for five people. So five people could have turned the situation around for that whole, and they wouldn't have been destroyed. Okay, then number two point that he wants you to have tonight is face to face with God. Turn to Deuteronomy 3410. You have a right, here's the point, you have a right to get face to face. Hallelujah. Now there's two things that have happened. First of all, um, just we haven't known we had this right. We thought we had to wait to heaven. And then secondly, we've been warned not, oh, don't, don't. Don't pursue anything like that because you could get something weird. Don't don't be trying to see anything because you could get something weird. If God wants to appear to you, He just will. And but if you if you start pursuing face to face with God, uh, you could get something. You could you could get a devil or something. Well, I, you know, a devil might show up, but Hallelujah, you've got discerning of spirits. You'll know the difference. You'll know the difference. Well, he appears as an angel of light. Well, that's why you'll have to have the supernatural to know the difference. That's why you'll have to have uh, discerning of spirits. It won't just happen because, I mean, in the natural, you might not could tell. But you'll have, you'll have discerning of spirits. Something will crawl in your flesh. You'll be like, oh, I got to get out of here. Oh, I don't want this. I command you to go in Jesus' name. You know. Hallelujah. Deuteronomy 34.10 And there, there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Now, if an old covenant man can know God face to face, then a new covenant man who has a better covenant, we have a, we have a superior and better covenant, covenant, we ought to be able to know God face to face. And uh, when we read this passage, there's either two ways usually that we will look at it. We either look at it looking back and we memorialize this. In other words, we make great Sunday school lessons about it, how Moses, he saw God face to face, he went up on the mountain, he got some stones, God wrote the Ten Commandments, and we memorialize this as something awesome that happened in the past. Or, number two, we 
we look for we go oh he saw god face to face oh i can't wait till i get to heaven so i can see god face to face no so we either put it in the past or we put it in the future but neither one of those is right I know when we came out from among the Baptists and we went, I came out among the Pentecostals. Now I'm going to sing a song to you, so brace yourself. But anyway, they sang a song and it went like this, the Pentecostals, and they loved this song. Oh, I want to see him look upon his face there to sing forever of his saving grace on the streets of glory. I will hear his voice. Free at last, home at last, ever to rejoice. And so it was all about, I want to see him. I want to see him. I want to see him over there. Kind of like he said, the children of Israel said, Oh, no, God, we don't want to see you. Hallelujah. We just want to listen to Brother Hagin talk about how he saw you. Or we just want to listen to Brother So-and-so talk about how he saw you, but we don't want to see you. We're going to wait till we get over there. And then we're going to have a face-to-face relationship. But God is calling all of us and has been all along that to a face-to-face relationship with Jesus. Why would we should why should we he said if we, we were to hunger? And why should we hunger for something that we can't obtain? In a, go to a Second Corinthians, and we're winding down right here. Now I know it's hot in here, so I'm sorry about that. That's what it's. That's that's this time of year. Now we're once we're cold. Now we're hot. Hallelujah! If you take care of the thermostat, you just have to be a jumping jack. Hallelujah! Up and down. Verse 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. But if the ministration, just substitute the word ministry there. But if the ministry of death, written and engraven in stones, that's the Ten Commandments on the tablets, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, How shall not the ministry of the Spirit be rather glorious or be more glorious? Some translations say. For if the ministry of condemnation, that was the old covenant, that was the law, that was the Ten Commandments. It was the ministry of condemnation. If the ministry of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministry of righteousness exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away was glorious, the law was done away with, if that was glorious, much more that which remaineth is is glorious or more glorious. Hallelujah. We are in a more glorious time. It's more glorious than Moses had it. Hallelujah. And every one of us can go into that inner court, that holy of holies. And in, the Bible says in Hebrews to come boldly to the throne of grace. And so we come boldly to the throne of grace. And Hebrews says that we enter in by the blood. We enter in and we can come boldly to the throne of grace every day, many times a day. Come right up before God. Stand right before the throne. Hallelujah. We see him with the eyes of our heart. If he opens our eyes and we see him with our natural eyes, hallelujah, more glory. But we see him with the eyes of our heart. We stand before him. We minister to him. We tell him how much we love him. We, we, uh, we, 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 you can, you can raise your hands to him. You can bow before him. You can sit down on the throne room steps and lean up against the, the knee, the leg of God. Just lean up against his leg and, and just fellowship with him and talk to him. You can get up and dance all over the throne room. Hallelujah with Jesus. Hallelujah. You can go right in. We can because we are in a new and better covenant than Moses was. Hallelujah. And that's what he wants for all of us. He wants you to come and minister to him. And hallelujah. I think if we thought more about that, about ministering to him, instead of all trying to get him to, to do something for us, hallelujah. I don't even think we'd have to ask for most things. Hallelujah. 
So we have a ability to have this. So it's time to start expecting. And it's time to start pursuing. You know, um, the, he said in Jeremiah, he said, you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. So we're, in, we're to be in pursuit of him. Hallelujah. But you don't have to run far. You just have to run right into the throne room and take the time to be there. Take some time to be there. Turn off the iPhone. Turn off the 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 the, the TV. Turn it. You're going to have to turn off some things because you know you can't be in God's place checking that iPhone. Hallelujah! Praise God. Oh, I tell you, sometimes it was great when, I, you know, my phone was just dinging all day, dinging. And I was getting updates on some gunman, you know, and it's like, I don't want to know. I know I could fix that somehow, but <laughs> hallelujah. Praise God. Um, thank you, Lord. Well, you know what I saw us do? Let's do this. How many we got in here? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. 17. Thank you. Okay. Well, I want, I saw us encourage each other, not pray for each other. I don't want you to go pray. I want you to go encourage. I want you to go tell them something. Maybe you, you may want to say, call out the gold, or, you know, just if you can't think of anything else to say, tell them everything's turning out amazing. But I know God will give you something else to say. So go to somebody real quick. Hallelujah. Just go to somebody. Don't, let's don't make this a, 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 an all-night work. Just go to somebody and tell them something. Encourage them. And you saying something or are you praying? Say it. Say something. Hallelujah. Did, hallelujah. Come up here. I want to say something to you. Did anybody not get an encouraging word? Uh, maybe you didn't get a, maybe they weren't that encouraging. If they weren't that encouraging, just go ahead and raise your hand and, and we will try somebody different on you. <laughs> or maybe your well is real, real empty. And I'd say, I need one more word tonight of encouragement. You didn't, they just looked, overlooked Joyce. Okay, somebody go. Somebody, or give about six or seven to her. She, 